The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. Welcome to another episode of The Adventure Jogger. Before we get to the meat and potatoes of this episode, I want to remind you we have brand new Adventure Jogger gear up for grabs on the website. You can go to theadventurejogger.com slash gear, or you can go to our Facebook page. We do have those Jason Green uh, idea adventure jogger joggers jogging pants to show everybody uh, you're an adventure jogger uh, t-shirts more go check it out it's on our facebook page or the adventurejogger.com slash gear our guest on this episode of the adventure jogger when i looked at his ultra sign up results they were like dream ultra sign up results if we all could picture our, our ultra running career our results would look like my guests. He's done it all. Western States, Hard Rock, Barkley. He's made a fun run. We'll get to that. He was even in the movie. We'll talk about that as well. He's gotten into winter ultras. Uh, and the cool thing about that is he's from Huntsville, Alabama, doing those big winter races, including the Iditarod race from Huntsville, Alabama. Rob Youngren is on the Adventure Jogger. Welcome, Rob. Hey, Hello. Good to be here. Okay. There's a whole lot to unpack here, Rob, but let's kind of start you from the beginning. Where did the running journey for Rob Youngren begin? Well, it's, uh, it's been, a, been a long time. I started running back in um, sort of middle of 1991. I was a junior in high school and I actually started off a, a dare of all things. I was not a runner at the time. I was reasonably fit. I was, you know, Eagle Scout. I'd been, you know, backpacking and stuff like that. But I was also at that time I was a not an athlete. I was an avid skateboarder of all things. And uh a skateboarding friend of mine also happened to be on the cross country team of our high school. And I'm not sure what the the spark was, but it, at some point he basically challenged me. He said you wouldn't last a week on the team. And this was over the summer. They just had started a uh summer running program with, with a team. And so I said, okay, you're on, you know, I was not one to back down from a, a challenge. Right. Yeah. And so I, I joined and it was at the time, I think the worst mistake of my life, <laughs> I was so sore and in pain and just, you know, hated running, but I couldn't give in. I couldn't give in. And sure enough, I, I gave it some time. And then um, one thing led to another and um, I began to enjoy it. And then, Long story short, that that same fella, he ended up dropping out, <laughs> dropping off the team, and so yeah, it all kind of started there, kind of humble beginnings. I mean, I was not a not a good runner at all, even at that time. So. Wow, to think about because I, I know you through some 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 friends. We have some mutual friends, Rob, right. and and how many adventures you've been on, and and how much joy and 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 meaning running has brought to your life. To think that. That whole thing starts in high school as a dare. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's crazy to think about now, and I never thought, you know, how long this would continue, and never thought I'd be, you know, a lifelong lifelong runner for sure. And here you but are. 
Yeah. You know, <laughs> you've got. Yeah, it just keeps it keeps snowballing. Um, so, <laughs> so that was the that got me started running, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it, it soon got kind of kind of old, you know. But uh, one summer, I was in already started college. You know, graduated from yeah. high school, and wasn't running in college. And, you know, I wasn't a, that great a runner in high school. You know, I just kind of ran to as a challenge, and I kind of you know I kind of enjoyed it, but going to college, that's a whole nother level. And I never thought I'd be, um, trying to run, you know, collegiately. Yeah. But, but over one, one summer when I was home from school, um, yeah, I grew up in Sacramento, California, by the way. Yeah. And so I started wanting groups to run with, and, uh, there was this local, you know, hash house Harriers group mm-hmm. in my, my hometown. And I started running with those guys just cause I, I'd been running with them before. And I just kept hearing them talk about these stories about this this crazy race that you know run through the Sierra Nevadas, you know, the basically the Western states. Yeah. Race and hearing those stories got me kind of I don't know, kind of got the wheels turning a little bit. And they started talking to me, and you know, they're bad bad influences. And they said you should try to you do an ultra sometime. And I don't know what it was, and uh, so I started to look up more about that race, in which I never heard about it, even though it was in my own backyard. The the race finished, you know, not. 30 miles, you know, from my home. Yeah. Never heard of it. And, uh, did some research and looked into it and man, I just, I don't know. The, the spark was, was lit. And, um, so I signed up for my first, first ultra period was a, a, 50, a local 50 mile race. And, uh, that was, you know, way back in like 1995 when I was still in, in college. Yeah. I mean, the nineties ultra running scene in the nineties, completely different. Yeah, I mean, it was, ridiculous oh and you can get into every race imaginable like there's no such thing as real lotteries and it's it's not what it is now you know we we all have because of you know ultra marathon man and and uh that great um uh the documentary that was done so many great movies made about western states i think current ultra runners have a a different relationship with that race than you would have at the time we we know it now we know people who have run it it doesn't seem so strange you're a college student in the mid 90s you know the jogging boom of the 70s and 80s is kind of over running's in this weird sort of space and then you who started running on a dare in high school running with some people in college and they're telling you about this hundred mile race through the mountains what was think back in time to like what were your thoughts at that point about this race that we all now know so much about? Yeah, it was definitely a different time. Um, especially very for many years, I was by far, you know, I was in my uh mid 20s, you know, when I'm doing these ultras, and every race I'd sign, every ultra I'd go to, I was the youngest by far. Mm-hmm. I mean average age was still, you know, over 40 and maybe it still is now. I'm not sure what the, the demographic is, but I would always be the youngest one there easily, even, you know, Western States. Um, and then I did a part of the, the grand slam that year too. And, uh, but still you had the sense that you were going to get in the race. It was not, not the big a deal. There was still a lottery, but back then they had the, the two time loser rule. And so I actually missed out, um, you know, so if you, put in for the race t- two years in a row. If you didn't get selected, you were automatic the third year. And that's actually how I got in. I, even back then when it wasn't as 
it was still popular, but not near you know, yeah. today. And it still took me, you know, the, the special clause to, to get in in the race. It's so funny. People thinking that have been trying to get in for eight years now. Yeah. Rob, they have all yeah, these crazy, like these massive <laughs> amount of tickets and they're like, boy, couldn't we go back to that two time loser rule? <laughs> it's unbelievable. And, and that year, that 98, that was 1998. And that was, I think probably one of the last years that they tried to, it was, you know, should have been by any other year, it would have been a snow year, you know, so mm-hmm. it would have been an alternate course like we, they do nowadays. But that year was probably the, one of the last years they tried to stick to the original course as much as possible. And they were having to airlift, you know, by helicopter <laughs> into some of these, the, 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 you know, aid station personnel, the supplies. And, and it was, I think, the only year that they actually extended the cutoff by two hours. So that, that year only, it was a 32-hour cut off and the the finish rate was still abysmally slow it was a it was wow weird. so they're they're using helicopters yeah to get yeah. people to aid stations yes <laughs> <laughs> so we're still running in the high country and they, they still they had to reroute there was one part they could not get to or that wasn't safe for runners i guess it was still um some of the conditions were so bad but as it was i mean it was pretty crazy stuff and that was actually the race um my then uh girlfriend now my wife you know kathy kathy youngren that was her first hundred mile race and we decided you know we're still we're dating at that time so we decided to to run it together and so man what a brutal first race for her oh yeah 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 it was like nothing nothing you would can imagine hardly (laughs) okay so you decide to run western states together and yeah, yeah. Th- this is your first time into Western States. She's into right. Western States. How long had you been dating before you decided, let's run Western States together? That'll make a great date. Yeah, not not long at all. I mean, we we met at a officially at our at the Strolling Gym, um, you know, the Strolling Gym forty mile race, just like a month or so before. And uh, I, but I knew of her. It was kind of a kind of a funny story. I. Through, I had mutual friends when I I started running ultras when I was in Virginia when I was in school. Yeah, and we were common friends with Kathy, you know, the Dink Taylor, Dwayne Satterfield, uh, Craig Armstrong, a lot of the local runners in yeah. Huntsville, Alabama. They knew about her, of course, and so I met had run with them in Virginia, and they said, "Hey, you need to come down to you know run some races in our our neck of the woods. There's there's a there's a girl you need to meet. We want you to meet." And so. I came to the the Mountain Mist race, and that was the January of the, the same year. Yeah, and I was re- real shy, introverted. I mean, I still kind of am, but yeah, even worse, you know, that that time, and I couldn't muster up the courage to go go talk to her. And so I had a friend try to introduce us, and they talked to her. and said, "Hey, you want to meet meet this guy?" And she said, "No." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I so I kind of. Went home, you know, tail between my legs, and it's like, oh, you know, I blew it. And so I said, no, no, she's going to be at this strolling gym race in yeah. May. She'd come yeah. up and come up, but come over and do it. And so I did, and then I finally, you know, had the courage and go talk to her. <laughs> and, and you know, it's just it's been awesome ever since. You did know? you say like, hey, Kathy, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm Rob, the guy <laughs> you didn't want to meet at Mountain Mist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So this was like stalking, you know, race stalking people before there was, you know, social media. And yeah. How did you race and, you know, stalk someone without ultra sign up, Rob? 
Right, I know. How did I figure that out? <laughs> so, so okay. So May strolling gym is May, and then Western States is end of June. So you're right. you're not long. It was less than two months clear. into this relationship. Yeah, we went went all in, you know. And <laughs> <laughs> so, so most people are on probably date ten at this point. As far as you are in this relationship, your date 10 is not, you know, a movie and Olive Garden and maybe maybe a double date with friends. This is Western States. How did the Western States date with your future wife go? Wow. (laughs) Yeah, you you learn a lot about, you know, how, you know, people when you go through the highs and lows of that, even, you know, just by yourself, but let alone traveling every footstep with with somebody which is hard to do anyways because you know the energy levels are different yeah. and, but yeah i don't know what it was like we we saw the best and the worst of each other and somehow <laughs> somehow we we still uh were together at the end i've often said that before you get married to someone you need to see them sick like you need to see each other sick yeah. and how you handle that and you also need to move a heavy piece of furniture with someone <laughs> yeah. like you need to have a buy a height of bed and that that needs to be on the second floor of your house and the two of you have to get that height of bed because those things are always really heavy uh, on the second floor and see how that works or run run an ultra together yeah it was yeah totally totally accurate there because <laughs> that kind of move because you you live a lot of life when you do yeah. your your long runs with somebody and you do and you train with someone and there's a lot of life lived where I would say running Western States with someone is the equivalent to like, I don't know, like six months of dating, probably maybe even a year. Right. Yeah. It was, it was very, very risky, <laughs> but you know, we were young and dumb and you know, like, Oh yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Let's just, let's just do this together. <laughs> Cause I was trying to be real conservative. I'd already run, you know, old dominion. Um, I think like three weeks before yeah. the race. Cause I was doing the slam. Yeah that year and uh so it's like oh i'll just just run with you and she i mean she kicked my butt you know i mean she was so strong like there was there was no no doubt you know there's definitely you know the highs and lows and all that so many stories from that race but uh no i mean i mean it, it went it was spectacular okay rob did you know you wanted to marry her by michigan bluff or forest hill when did you know that this was the one for you. Yeah, there's probably two personal stories in there, but definitely, you know, probably by no hands, you know, for sure. <laughs> the, the last aid station before the finish. Yeah. You're like, ah. I wasn't quite sure. <laughs> you didn't know until you hit the track. You hit the track at, at the high school, and you're like, yeah, this one could be the one for me. Yeah, so, yeah, it was... You know, speed dating, you know, ultra dating. Oh, for sure. What is it like <laughs> finishing a race with someone that you're in that new relationship with? It's her first hundred. You've already done a couple because you're doing the Grand Slam. What is that? What is that like finishing a race with not not a spouse, but someone you met at strolling gym a month and change yeah. ago? It's it's strange. I mean, it was. You know, it's real emotional, obviously, you know, and, it, and it's difficult because, you know, her, her parent, you know, her whole family's there, her brother and, uh, 
you know, trying to, trying to balance that. Cause they hardly, you know, they hardly know me at all. Right. Who is this guy? And, um, at the same time, you know, like we're, we've had this, this bonding thing that they can't really see, even though, you know, they're, they're yeah. checking on us or following us or crewing along the way. And so they see us in bits and pieces, you know, but they're, you know, they're part of the experience, but not, not like it is on the trail together. And it's, oh, and they it's must difficult to try to communicate that. Yeah. Know? And they must think you are just this grade a weirdo, you know, like yeah. <laughs> I didn't make it anything. It, I didn't make it easier on myself that year. I don't know where the idea came from, but I had this idea because this, I figured, you know, this grand slam is going to be a once in a lifetime thing. I got mm-hmm. talked into it from a friend of mine because, you know, back then, even like today, Hey, if you get, you know, if you make the lottery in Western States, you might as well just go for all four, you know, right. I don't know. That's kind of a slippery slope. I don't know where the jump in that logic is, but, so I said, I'm going to do each race with a different color theme. So I wore, uh, I think that race, I was trying to be all, all blue color. So I had like blue shirt, you painted my shoes blue. Um, I didn't go quite so far as my hair. My hair was bleach blonde, which is silly. But I learned my mistake that Old Dominion, it was all red and I bleached my hair or I bleached my hair and dyed it red. So that <laughs> And that was such a disaster. I'm like, I'm not going to do that part again. Maybe I won't go that extreme. <laughs> so I'm wearing all blue. I look probably like a clown. I look back. We hit, you know, we have the, you know, the ubiquitous Western States, you know, finished photo. And yeah. Back at that and just chuckle. <laughs> you know, my parents probably thought I was this total clown. Like, who is this guy? You know? Just imagine <laughs> the conversation your wife, Kathy, is having with her parents. Like, well, I met this guy. And uh, I didn't want to meet him at Mountain Mist, um, but, you know, he was persistent. And I met him again at Strolling Gym, this strange race in the middle of Tennessee. uh, And now we're going to do Western States together. Yeah, (laughs) You show up in your your, in blue spray painted shoes. You didn't make a great first impression, Rob. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was a good guy, I think. I mean, I think they they liked me, but there was... They like kind of some other drama going on, so it was it was kind of a stressful time. Yeah, but it, it, it all it all went well, you know. And after that, they you know they realized it wasn't such a creeper, you know. You know, it's a great story though, because like you think about yeah. like people talk about stories about how they met and 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 how they you know, the relationship progressed, and it's a lot of well, we met at church or or this, and it's kind of the same five stories. You have the only story. You and Kathy are the only ones that can say, you know, denied at Mountain Mist, (laughs) got together at Strolling Gym, ran Western States together. That is, it's it's an ultra love story that will never again be matched, Rob. And the real, I don't know, you you asked about when you thought you'd marry this girl. And uh, this is kind of a geeky, kind of weird thing, but I'm not sure Western States still does it where you can choose your bib number. Yeah. It, I don't know if they still do that, but they so. did back then. And uh, so won't get into it, but one of my favorite numbers is 181. Yeah. So that I just, this is before I met her, you know, I got in the race. I mm-hmm. chose, I wanted that to be my bib number, 181. Well, you know, that's long before I met her. We meet, we show up at uh, the packet pickup to get our bibs. Yeah. I pick up mine, you know, 181. She picks up hers. It's one eighty two. She didn't even pick up. She didn't pick a number. It was alphabetical. Yeah. 
And so we were 181, 182. So people assumed on the course that we were married, right? Because, yeah. you know, we had numbers next to each other. And those kind of a weird coincidence, you know, if you think about it, you know, the odds of all that happening like that. So wow. that was kind of a sign, you know, that everything was going to be good and this, this is a good good thing. The only way this could get more like perfect Western states marriage story is if the person who married you was Gordy Ainsley or Tim Tweetmeyer. Like, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it was pretty strange. Oh. But yeah, that was that was an amazing experience. The whole summer, I call it the, the summer of Rob because I was, you know, I went pretty diligent student through high school. I didn't take the, you know, always worked hard, you know, went right into school and it was, you know, a military school. Yeah. Virginia Military Institute. And just worked hard and never had like a kind of a blow off period of time, time to myself. Yeah. And so when I got out of college, I call it the summer of Rob, you know, um, I kind of, that summer of 98. I'm, so I just pretty much spent the time traveling, doing the, the Grand Slam. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just a, just that kind of started it off. It was a kind of a crazy whirlwind kind of summer. You find a sport that you like. One that you're kind of good at. You find the love of your life. 98 was a good year for Rob Youngren. Yes, you know, I peaked. I peaked. <laughs> right? You peaked in 98. It's been downhill ever since. Yeah. So another race. So that's great. Western states. And to experience that, Hard Rock. You're one of the lucky few people that I've met that can say they've run Hard Rock. A race that people just speak volumes about. But yeah. there's this mysterious, like... I almost think it's like a Freemason meeting in order to decide who gets into this race. How, when did you hear about Hard Rock? That was even before, I don't know what it was, that that race drew me in even before I'd gotten into Western States mm-hmm. and you know done the, the slam. Um, I kind of found out about the Hard Rock, you know, the, the hard, you know, through the ultra, you know, ultra running magazine, looking at the list of races and yeah. advertisements and all that, right? And, uh, so actually con- contacted, um, the race director and they said, uh, you know, you don't have the qualifications yet. And at that time, if you did like the, even the grand slam, that would, that would qualify. Yeah. Uh, so that was back. That was 99s a year. I got, you know, this is the year after the, the slam. Yeah. And I want to say, I don't even think there was a lottery that year, honestly. Like I, I think I put in you know, the same year, like early 99. Yeah. It was just an application. It was not a lottery because it was still fairly new and raw and crazy. You know, people thought this is ridiculous. You, you know, it's not safe to have you know, people out in the, the high country in these remote areas. And so they're hard put to find enough people even to, to fill the race field. I mean, it's, it's still filled up obviously, but. Right. Um, so I, I got lucky. I got in early, you know, 99, when there's no, no lottery and then once i started the lottery um you know you got a number of tickets based on your qualifications and that's evolved over time and so right. early days they even counted if you had prior starts and you know dnfs and all this and so um it was ended up still being pretty easy to make the lottery i made it every time um but the number of applicants wasn't near 
you know what it is right. these days. Everybody hates you, Rob. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It, it's so. I mean, it is so worth going, and I, you know, even if you have the means to just go and you know pay somebody or you know volunteer in an aid station, uh, it's just an amazing experience, and I think you better understand why they kind of keep to to the way they do it. I mean, I don't know how they, you know, the specifics of the, the you know, the selection, you know, the, the criteria and all that, but I do, you know, support it, keeping it small. I mean, it, it wouldn't be the same kind of, you know, feeling and, and uh, experience if it, was, if it was a much larger race. I I've heard rumors that they're, per- yeah, I've heard the rumors that their permit is actually allows them for more, but they keep it small on purpose. Right. right. Maybe, I don't know if it's like maybe the total footprint, maybe they're trying to, I've heard, yeah, I've heard what they've talked about that too. It's like the total number of feet on the ground, you know, they're trying to factor in the right. the pacers and um, the other people that are traveling on the course and the, you know, vehicular traffic and yeah, there's a lot there and it's just, it's a special event. Like if they tried to create that event these days, like a new race, it would not happen. Like it's passing through areas that are wilderness now that, our grandfathered in because it wasn't wilderness at the time or the rules had changed. And so, you know, to, I guess to keep it that way, you know, they have to follow either the rules and just the, you know, the spirit of the, and the intent of the, well, the it, event. it's one of those races, Rob, it's really, it hasn't sold out. It, it, what I, what I mean by selling out is, it's it hasn't become this big thing, and it could be right. so much bigger than it actually is. You could have oh, yeah. you could yeah. have a big lottery where you know you could have it on TV and have a marching band come in and we're gonna pick some play, you know that sort of thing. And you could have golden tickets. You could make it as big as you wanted to. You could make it a Leadville style extravaganza. Yeah. But but they've yeah. kept it small, and so many so few people have experienced that race. What is it about? hard rock that kept you coming back man it's it's i mean it is difficult but it's that's not it it's just you get out there i mean after the first you know climb or two i mean maybe not for a lot of people but maybe for some of us i mean you just get you're totally separated i mean i spent probably you know majority of the time not seeing another you know another runner out there and it feels less like, you know, a race and just a, just wild supported backpacking, you know, fast packing experience. And it's different every time, you know, not only just because it's, you know, switches directions each year, if you're you know, fortunate enough to, to do it more than once, you know, go the, the opposite directions, but, but, you know, the weather, the conditions and, you know, you're truly rewarded for all the, the sweat equity you put in, you get above, you know, tree line and just, you know, if you're one for panoramic kind of high exposure, I mean, it's amazing. You know, I don't, it's hard, it's hard to put into words and it just kind of sucks you in. You get that scratch and you got to itch it. And the only way to do it is to try to go back and, and keep going. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's a, uh, it's such an amazing experience. Hard rock versus Western States. That's hard to compare the two. I know. But the vibe yeah. difference. Yeah, it was, it's different. I mean, you know, Western States, it's not, you know, for me, you know, I did it, did it twice. That's the only times I wanted to do it. I wanted to get each, each buckle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> got the, you got the collection. 
Um, but you know, it's more of a circus. It's a spectacle, but it's, it's definitely worth doing. You know, it is like the, you know, the bo- equivalent of Boston in our sport, mm-hmm. in Boston marathon. So it's definitely worth doing it. But for me, you know, it's, you know, it's a big show, um, which is good. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. But, yeah. You know, hard rock, almost the other end of the spectrum, you know, it's, you know, you're pretty much on your own. There's, a stations are hours apart now. So, you know, you got to be, you know, real direction oriented because I mean, it's minimally, minimally marked. You really yeah. got to understand where you're, where you're going, you know, because there's so few racers and they, you know, they mark the course, you know, you know, days, sometimes weeks ahead of time. Right. And depending on the conditions, the, the, the flagging and stuff is damaged. I mean, they say right at the top of the, you know, course instructions, like you're responsible to understand and know where to go, basically, you know, if there's no markers. So it's just, it really is like the motto says, it's wild and tough and just many different ways. It, it, and it's just relentless. Cause you know, at Western States, you know, you get past, you get, you know, when you get to Michigan bluff, you're kind of smooth sailing, at least in my opinion, like you, you've survived the, the, the high altitude, you survived the canyons and now, it's still a long way to go to the finish, but you kind of know you get there at a decent time. You're going to make it. You yeah. I mean, not sure what the statistics are, but you know, usually you leave out of Michigan bluff, you, you know, you can walk it in, you know, assuming you're not on the hairy edge of the, the cutoffs. But. Right. So you, you go from that race, enjoying the, the wild, the, the toughness of it. And then you yeah. discover the strange race at a park outside of a prison. Yeah. In Tennessee, where did you first hear about Barkley? Yeah, it was, again, it was just all about the same time frame, you know, the 98, 99. And it was, again, these three guys from Alabama, you know, the Dink Taylor, Dwayne Satterfield, who, you know, recently passed yeah. you know, passed away. Um, good friend of mine. And uh, Craig Armstrong, they'd all been doing the Barclays and talking about the Barkley marathons. And, uh, and so I got, got interested with that and it kind of goes back a little bit further and, you know, they're the ones that finally talked me into, to going, but even before then, when I was still in Virginia, um, you know, the Virginia military Institute is right next door to Lynchburg, mm-hmm. Virginia. So that's where the hometown of Dave, you know, David Horton. Yeah. And I, I'd read about his his exploits at the, the Barkley, you know, through the ultra running magazine. And I actually wrote him, you know, a handwritten letter asking about that race and how to, how to do it. And, and so ended up joining him. He used to do these crazy, what he called Barkley training runs in, in the area on the Appalachian trail. And I ended up joining him for one of those adventures. And we were like the only two to, to finish the whole crazy thing. It was like a hundred miles on, the Appalachian trail and he wanted to do it under 24 hours. And it was just this brutal experience. And, you know, he, he said, Hey, you know, you might have some potential, you know, cause there were a lot of these big name runners that were there and they, they dropped out and, uh, you know, I made it. And so, you know, back then it was still kind of a myth of this mythological event, you know, people didn't know if it was real or, you know, was this a real event and back then, if you just kind of knew when and where to show up, yeah, like odds are, you'd be let you in the race, you know. Because mm-hmm. um, no one, I mean, nobody wanted to do it, and even fewer people had really knew how, you know, knew about it. 
I always love the story about Steve Durbin getting in without even applying because he forgot. Yeah. <laughs> and Laz is like, I put you in. I said, Why didn't yeah. you apply? Oh, I completely forgot. Well, I put you in anyway. I've always loved that story. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And at that time, um, you know, now, you know, it's like send an email at a certain time. Yeah. You know, back then it was the same kind of rules, but you literally left a voicemail on his answering machine. And he <laughs> kind of just went through the order. You know, he'd pay, play the messages back and that's who was in. Wait, you know? <laughs> so when you got into Barkley, you had to find out what the number was. Yeah. And you yeah, had to yeah. call the number and and what kind of message did you have to leave on the answering machine? I don't even remember. I think it was pretty simple because, you know, back then, you know, you can leave overly long messages. <laughs> so I think you just had to basically tell him how to contact you back, essentially. And he would call you back. <laughs> and I don't even think I got in off of that. I think it was even back then he had some kind of wait list. He kept some in some cryptic way. And, you know, finally, you know, he called me on the phone yeah. you know, some, some time later. And said, "Okay, you've been you've been lobbied for pretty well by you know David Horton." He says, "Give you a chance." And you know, I was still young and dumb in my, in my twenties. You know, I didn't take it very seriously. I mean, how hard could this thing be? I was faster runner at that time into running you know faster trail yeah. races. So yeah, I got my butt handed to me <laughs> you know, for several years at the event. <laughs> what was the wake up call for you uh, when you knew like, oh, this is not what i expected oh wow i mean right off the bat i mean just starting the race it's the that park that frozen head state park it's definitely evolved over the years at that at that time they didn't have the 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 trail maintenance upkeep Mm -hmm. you know that they do today and so you get right into it like the very first after the first climb you get in this area and it's not like it's brutal off trail, you know, climbing and descending that you hear about. This was like a normal, uh, you know, what they call a candy ass trail. The yeah. problem was there hadn't been any trail maintenance for probably like 50 years. <laughs> so there's blowdowns everywhere. I mean, it's really hard to even find the trail. And so you're stumbling through this stuff. You know, you're luckily if you're lucky if you're going like a mile an hour. And I'm, you know, I was this time I was running, you know, sub four hour 50 Ks and yeah. used to running and all of a sudden we're doing all this walking. So I just could not grasp why, why a loop time was so slow and wow, you know, reality set in and then, you know, the navigation. So I quickly found I had to just, I had to stick with somebody cause there was no, I was no way I was going to navigate a loop on my own back then. You know, even with a marked up map and all that stuff. Right. You know. So, wow. And so, you know, even still, it was ended up being just like a fun weekend. Okay, go go do a loop. No yeah. big deal. I'll come back next year. Because it was not a thing. Like, you didn't have to worry about, you know, getting in. Right. You know, you might have to wait on a wait list for a while. But it was not, you know, what it is today. You know, the in the whole move, you know, the Barkley movie. Right. I mean, for better or worse, I mean... It changed everything. <laughs> oh, it really did. And you're in yeah. that movie. If everyone wants to yeah. watch the race that eats its young, the the one the first documentary because there's been there's been a handful of right. of Barkley race documentaries. That was the one that kind of gained popularity and and got everybody on board. You're actually in that. Yeah, it's such a crazy thing because probably starting around 
you know, that was 99 as my first year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't go every year. There was long gaps in there. I was doing something else, you know, into other things. And sometime, I guess, maybe, or, you know, 2005, 2008, somewhere in that time frame, when I started, whenever I started going back, there was every year there was some kind of documentary crew trying to do something. Yeah. You know, they made all these promises. Hey, we're going to do this and this. And then you never hear anything about it. Maybe like a two minute clip on YouTube yeah. or something. And so you got kind of used to there being people, you know, documenting this. And that year, you know, 2012 was no, no different, really. It was just another crew. Yeah. But wow. You know, they really knew what they were doing. They were, they were serious and they were the ones that made it work, you know, for whatever reason. That had to be really crazy though, Rob, for, (laughs) you know, you've seen, like you were saying, you know, there've been crews that had tried to film it before it would turn into a two minute YouTube clip and it really wasn't a thing. And you're kind of used to, okay, there's another, yet another film crew here. Let's see if these guys uh, don't screw it up. And of course this one takes off. This one becomes the movie that everybody has seen and there you are in it. Was that, was that weird to watch the movie and to see your experience from that side of the, of the, of the TV? Yeah, it's, I don't know how they were able to condense all the footage they took, you know, and squeeze into an hour or what, you know, whatever it is. Um, cause we were getting updates, you know, all throughout when they were, cause they, you know, they had to sign a release or yeah. whatever. So they're can you give any updates of their progress? Cause it took a, you know, it took them a while to, to, to finally roll it out. But that wasn't so strange. The, the, probably the strangest thing from all this is, you know, people come up to me, you know, coworkers that I hardly even know. Yeah. Cause I don't really talk about, you know, what I do at work yeah. and, you know, coming up to me in the hall and say, Hey, aren't you that guy that was in that Netflix film? You know, and these guys are like not runners. They just, <laughs> you know, happened to watch, you know, see the recommended videos and they watch this documentary and, you know, that was the strange thing. And it still happens to this day, you know, people every now and then like, weren't you in that Barkley movie? But yes, yes, I you was. Know. Would you like me to autograph your copy? <laughs> yeah. It's, that's when I knew that's, that was a crazy thing. Cause it, you know, it, the movie, the, it made some, it was making the rounds of different film festivals. Mm-hmm. And that's when it was kind of in our, you know, our community, the altering community, that's when people are starting to see it, you know, the, at the festivals or, you know, when they had screenings. And so that got kind of popular. We even got invited to me and uh, Dwayne. We, we um, did like a Q and a, we did like a local um, viewing in Birmingham at a festival and that was fun, but it wasn't until when it rolled out into Netflix that it really exploded. I think. Yeah. You, net, people Netflixed and chilled to you, Rob. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let that sink in yeah. for for a minute. But that's it's it's so cool. That's is that the year that you got your fun run? Was the year of the documentary? It was. I guess I like I kept. I, I said before, it's. I picked a good year to have a good year there because I had so many abysmal failures before then, and I only really started to take it seriously the year before that. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, I'd go. You know, like I said, I'd go up, do a loop. It's fun. It's great. Spend the weekend and chill. But then my buddy Dwayne, you know, yeah, he finally, you know, he was kind of the same way. We just kind of like burn through a loop and it's fun. It's great. And usually no interest in going on. Yeah. Well, he got serious before I did and he finally finished the fun run. Right. So now it's, again, it's a dare. It's the 
competitive nature we had. And I'm like, oh, no, I got to, I've got to get a fun run. If Dwayne, you know, if Dwayne could do it, maybe I have some, have a prayer, you know, he obviously, you know, he did it pretty fast, but maybe I could squeeze in under the, the time limit for a fun run. And, and so, you know, sure enough, we, we teamed up the year before that 2011 and, you know, we, made it the furthest I ever made it, but we still, we still kind of failed. Yeah. And, uh, so I worked, but then I, that kind of, then I understood what I had to do. And so I trained harder than ever for the next year, you know, you know, fitness wise and just really studying the map and doing as much as legal running as you could out there. Cause even back then, a lot of the stuff was off limits, but there were still parts of the course, you know, you're technically, you could train on now it's like, you know, totally off limits. You can't go any off trail, but back then there was still areas that were, were open. And so I, you know, would spend a couple weekends up there training and, uh, yeah, it all, it all paid off. Everything clicked. It was such an amazing experience. I mean, it was very brutal <laughs> for sure. So, was there yeah. any, um, footage, anything that was shot during that year that you're glad didn't make the movie? Sort of. I mean, they were, it's <laughs> kind of wild. You're, you're out there totally, especially after a loop, you know, it's, you're kind of in rarefied air mm-hmm. after that. Cause you know, not many people even continue on after a loop. Right. So you pretty much find yourself alone. And I was unfortunate enough not to really pair up with any, I wasn't in any groups. So I was pretty much navigating solo from, from the beginning. So you're used to just kind of being in your own own head, you know, trying to trying to stay in the moment, trying to stay on course, even yeah. as you're kind of losing your mind because you're just totally exhausted. I can't even imagine. Yeah, I can't even explain, you know, how how far gone you are, and then all of a sudden, you know, someone pops out of the woods with a camera in your face. <laughs> you know? and, and yeah, first you're trying to be on your, your best behavior, you know, probably loop two or so you're still kind of cognizant of what's going on. But by loop three, I mean, I was almost a zombie. I didn't even felt like I was almost like sleepwalking that whole loop, you know, looking back now. And yeah, there was a moment, um, and it was a very hot year. It was, I mean, the temperatures probably got in the, you know, the eighties, mm-hmm. it was humid. It was unusual. And <laughs> I mean, I pretty much stripped down to chill in this little, this little stream bed. I mean, I was, I don't know if I was completely naked, but it was not a good look. <laughs> and I said, I said, don't worry, don't look at the camera. Just, you know, just do whatever you're doing, you know? And I'm sure it was pretty ugly looking event. Cause <laughs> thankfully, you know, that made the camera. When you, when you were watching it where you're like, please don't show me in the water, please don't yeah. show me in the water. Yeah. Yeah. It was, <laughs> who knows? I mean, I was probably talking cause I think they were maybe asking something and I don't even know what I said. It was unintelligible, especially, you know, in the movie. And when I finally, you know, finished that third loop and, you know, Gary Cantrell, you know, Laz is asking me some question. I don't even remember what he asked and, you know, it's in the movie, yeah. how I respond and, like, I don't even know how I strung a sentence like that together, to be honest. It was <laughs> just, just, just know that somewhere in some, you know, so on someone's hard drive or, yeah. you know, some film archive somewhere, there is footage of Rob Youngren not wearing anything in a stream 
at Frozen Head State Park. That footage is out there still. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd be curious to see, you know, what, what else they caught, you know, just just out of curiosity. Yeah, give me I mean, the, they, you want I the forget. Rob outtakes. Yeah, I mean, they had, you know, equivalent of days worth of footage, you know, captured over the whole time frame and, you know, so like you said, it's out somewhere. It's kind of scary. You know, <laughs> black man material. <laughs> so the documentary comes out, the, the race that eats its young. It's kind of a double-edged sword, don't you think? Because, you know, here's this thing that was kind of a, a secret that you and your buddies had. And, and this kind of gathering for some very interesting individuals. And now it is it's changed forever. The documentary comes out and it's no longer the weird get together amongst a very unusual set of friends. It becomes this worldwide, you know, secret. That's the worst kept secret in the world that all of a sudden is now it's not the David Horton's and, 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 and the Rob Youngren's of the world. It's the elite of the elite, the best of the best rolling into Tennessee. Do you do you long a bit for the days before the documentary, or is it something where you're like, ah, it is what it is, right? Yeah, I mean, it pretty much is what it is. I mean, even before before the movie, a lot had, had changed. But honestly, for the better. I mean, the race almost died. There was a year where it wasn't even held. They, they got banned, you know, from the park. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, it's all, all in the book, and I think they describe it somewhere you know frozen ed's book yeah um you know the barkley marathons eats, eats it's young yeah and, uh, uh yeah there was a lot of politics going on that you know they didn't want the race there there was certain individuals in the i guess the state government that you know didn't want it there and i guess they decided that the best way to, to move forward is to get the you know the public get people behind it you know this the special gem of a, an event that's so unique well, you think and so? Yeah, they went public, and that that helped. I mean, that's that's what you know saved the race. But you know, it's a it's a Pandora's box, right? Well, yeah, and I think too, it, it it's like I will never, and I I I am not even worthy <laughs> to throw my name into the possibility. I'm not that type of runner. I don't have that ability. I don't have that dedication. I'm not, and never will be a Barkley runner. But what that what that did was opened my eyes to a rugged piece of beauty in my home state. It gave Frozen Head State Park some of the recognition it it deserved. The park is the star of that race, is the star of that movie, and you don't need to get into Barkley to experience Frozen Head State Park, but everyone should experience it. Oh, it's... It's it's a different world. It's a magical world that you don't have to email Laz at a certain time and a certain thing, and you can experience it for yourself. And I think if anything, you know, the race was going to change at some point. But oh, yeah. since a lot of us, 99.9 repeating percent of us will never get into that race. And most of us probably don't even deserve to be thought about for that race because we just don't have what it takes. Um, but it gave us this incredible place. Yeah. 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 It's crazy. I, I don't know how many times I've been up there now, you know, for the race or just to frozen mm-hmm. head, but it was funny. It wasn't, you know, the first few times it was 
just there for the race. And so all I saw was, you know, the back country, not even the real trails. And so finally it wasn't until probably not, you know, early two thousands, I finally started going up there just to hike the trails and I was floored how beautiful and amazing you know, a place it is. It is. It, it's so cool, Rob. I remember it's like a little slice of a- Appalachia, really. Like yes. Here, you know. Yeah, that's a great way to describe it. I, my brother, who is not a runner, is not an ultra runner, has not seen the video, has, doesn't know anything about all that. And he wanted to go, you know, and camp in a state park in Tennessee. And he's like, I want to take the kids to Tennessee in summer. What would be a good park? And I said, well, there's a lot of parks in Tennessee, but there's one park that is really special. It's Frozen Head State Park. It's, you know, it's, it's it's got mountains around it. It is just a really neat place. You should experience it. And so he got a, a, a campsite and st- camped there for four days. And he, not even as a ultra groupie or whatever, that has a special, that place, that park has a special meaning to him because it's just, there's something about that place that you just can't find anywhere else. You're right. And, you know, the movie, that's the flip side. And, you know, obviously it affects the event, but I think it's been a boon for the park. I mean, the park's now fully behind it. I mean, they've got, you know, yellow gate Mm -hmm. stickers and patches you can buy there and, you know, t-shirts. They've got this Barkley challenge loop you can do and, you know, get a a t-shirt for that if you complete it. And so it's, it's been good. I mean, I've seen even the campsites and stuff have changed been upgraded you know mm-hmm. everything so i mean it's a lot of it's got a lot of additional funding there and just the community as a whole you know the wartburg and surrounding areas have really you know benefited from you know the race growing like it has and get really putting a putting a bright spotlight on the park yeah. that is dark all the time because it's in this it's in the, the shadow of that beautiful yeah, mountain I mean, how can that be a bad thing you know there's there's trade-offs right for and, sure um so, all right Let's let's transition now because you're never a person who seems to be like, ah, I like one style of race. That's what I'm going to do for my whole life. You've recently discovered winter ultras. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. From Huntsville. Right. You know, we're, we don't really have winter. <laughs> right. <It's pretty> crazy. <laughs> well, no, but here's the here's the great thing. You got a guy like Pete Ripmaster who has the 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 fastest time in some race, like I did a rod, he has the course record that I did a rod. He's from North Carolina. Right. So that's really got to get people's goats when there's a guy from North <laughs> Carolina, uh, winning the Iditarod for people that don't know, Rob, you know, the Iditarod horse, or sorry, the Iditarod dog race, the dog sled race is famous, but there's also a foot race there as well. And you actually did that this year. Right. There's a sense probably even before two, 2000, there's been a human powered, um, I did a rod, you know, in Alaska, mm-hmm. uh, you know, foot, either travel by foot, bike or ski, you gotta, you choose at the mm-hmm. starting line, you uh, know, and that's basically when I first heard about it. And again, ultra running magazine, it was probably year 2000. There was this crazy photo of this guy with this ice beard and it talked about the, you know, advertising this race, I did a rod, impossible that i did or extreme that's what they named the the thousand mile and the, the 350 mile races yeah. respectfully and i thought man that is a crazy thing like there's no way i'd be yeah. able to ever do that but 
like I said, it was a spark, you know, deep back in my head. Like maybe, maybe one day, you know, I feel confident enough to, to go up there. And so vicariously for years, every year I would follow that race, even back, you know, year 2000. Yeah. You know, sort of early internet days, there was, there was you know, a website where someone would, you know, the race director would post updates about where the races were every day. And then over the years, they finally got, you know, sophisticated. They had, you know, the GPS tracking. And so I'd follow it every, every year, you know, just religiously, but still thinking there's no way, like how, how do I get experience? How do I qualify? And why would it, why would they even let me a guy from Huntsville, Yeah, you know, come do this race. But, you know, like you said, I'm a guy that keep doing different races and I kind of grow and I get kind of, I know it's, not bored, but I kind of want new challenges. I think that's how you grow either in, you know, in work or school or, you know, life, you know, you're not kind of pushing your boundaries, you know, going outside your comfort zone, you know, you don't, you don't grow and that's fine. You know, not, not everyone's like that. That's just kind of the way I tick, you know? Um, so finally it's like, all right, I've waited long enough. I want to, I want to, start down that path to, to try to go do, you know, these, this Iditarod thing, it was crazy. And so I had some failures along the way. Um, wife and I, you know, Kathy, we had actually newly married. We flew up to Alaska. We attempted the, the Sisitna 100. We dropped out at 40 miles. They had unusual weather. They had to change the course. No, nothing was frozen. It was actually warmer up in Anchorage than it was in Huntsville. At the time. Wow. So they had this modified course. It was a bunch of chewed up snowmobile trails. It was just not, not the same. This wasn't like a winter experience yeah. at all. Was, I mean, it was above freezing. Like during the day, it was crazy. Yeah. You're pulling the sled full of survival gear, right? Right. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, so then years later, I said, okay, just punt on that idea. And then years later, we go up to, again, together, we go up to northern Minnesota to International Falls mm-hmm. to do the Arrowhead, the yeah. 135, to attempt it. And it's like the same thing. Like, we brought the warm weather with us. <laughs> it was, you know, above freezing. It was, there was snow on the ground, but it's, when it's warm like that, it is so difficult to, to pull like a, you know, 40-pound sled behind you. And it's, you're punching through the snow. And so we just got to the point where like, all right, this isn't fun anymore. We're about 40 miles in, you know, the first checkpoints, like, yeah. you know, actually 40 miles in. And it's like, like our last chance to really get out of there, you know, by car. And then all of a sudden it dumps like a foot of snow. So it's was like, all right, good decision. And most of the people in that race scratched that year. Yeah. So again, like, all right, maybe this isn't for me, you know, two, I'm over two. Right. Right. So finally, I'm going to get serious. I'm back to basics. So I went up to Wisconsin a few years ago, mm-hmm. to Scobia. There's a, it's like an old rail. It's like a rail trail that's, you know, snowed over. It's a multi-use trail. Yeah. And 80 mile distance. I said, so I said, I could do 80 miles. I mean, yeah, I can handle that. And so I finally, that was my first winter race I finished and it turned out, you know, it was never above zero degrees the entire time. Like the air temperature was like, you know, minus single digits and it was, you know, headwind. It was brutally cold. But at the time I was thinking, you know, this isn't so bad. I prepared for it because, I mean, how do you prepare, you know, in Huntsville? Well, you, you read a lot. You read a lot of race reports. 
you know, read some books on, you know, winter, winter camping and what do you, what do you have to do to, to survive? And obviously you can't really test gear. So you're kind of having to rely on um, other people's, you know, observations about gear and try to get the right things. And, um, but I learned kind of an adage even way before that is it was, I think in the Susitna website, they said, if, you don't have the ability to test your gear in the proper way or train the proper way. Just get out in the worst conditions you can, you know, hot or cold, whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. worst conditions and just get used to being com- uncomfortable you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's really the bottom line of any of this stuff, especially the winter ultras is, um, you know, getting in that, in that mode. And so, so yeah, so at the Tuscobia started it off. Yeah, you know, finally finished a race, and really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the the solitude because you're and it's all self self sufficient. Yeah, you pretty much have everything you need for for the duration. They, you know, they've got a checkpoint there. You know, halfway just to make sure you're not to, totally hallucinating and you know to refill water bottles and stuff like that. But uh, I don't know. There's it's a weird kind of thing. It's for me and for maybe a lot of us. It's probably as close as I'll ever be to being like an astronaut of all things, exploring this new world. Cause you, you've got all this gear on, yeah. you know, keep you warm. The outside's trying to kill you. Right. Yeah. The cold trying to get in. You're kind of in this personal space inside all your gear. And, you know, cause I'm no stranger to wearing a mask these days. Yeah. Right. You know, back then, you know, that's what you, you're wearing a mask the whole time. So this whole mask thing, you know, this year has not been a big deal. Like, Oh, right. I'm used to wearing <laughs> but, so if you think about it it's kind of like you're exploring this this hostile new world you know that's you know cold and dark and you and you've got everything you need with you like an astronaut has their the air and water yeah. and everything and i don't know just something about that experience just kind of resonated with me because i've done all this other stuff in the past i felt like i had a lot of experience and and uh yeah, it's it's difficult to describe, and so um, finally did a, you know a couple other races, so that finally qualified me for to even you know put in for the Iditarod Invitational because it is invitational. You mm-hmm. submit your resume, what you've done, and you know they've got minimum qualifying races, which is um, you know the Arrowhead and the Tuscobias and all all that. There's more and more winter ultras popping yeah. up, so I finally you know finally got in you know, for, for this year's race or last year, yeah, 2020. Yeah. And I was, even after all I've been through, I kind of was on the fence. Should I even put in, should I go? I mean, that's, you know, it's a long way away. And yeah, you're, you're in Alaska. Did you sign up for the the three fifty or the thousand? The three fifty. you have to do, you have to do finish the three fifty at least once before they'll let you um, go beyond. Okay. And that's a huge commitment because, for better or worse, you know, qualifying down here, you know, the Tuscobia, you know, I did the 160 to qualify. And then I um, actually went up to Canada and to Winnipeg. They had a sort of like a self-supported 100 mile race there. That was, that was crazy too. That's a whole nother story. But um, so I'd qualified, but even those races, like if you get, you know, you have self-service, right? So yeah. if you get in a pinch, you can get out, you know, you can get out of there. You know, you could, there's, a, there's sort of like this underlying safety net that, you know, if you mess up, 
you, you know, you might just have to sit it out for a little while. And yeah. Someone will come pick you up. Right. right. But the Iditarod, not only is the race so remote, I mean, they tell you right up front, you know, you're pretty much on your own. They, they talk about, you know, here's the phone number for the, you know, the, the bush plane people that can, can pick you up. You know, you have to try to call them to arrange, you know, your transportation. <laughs> Where are you at? I, I don't know. It's a lot. I'm just surrounded yeah. by snow. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. Cause all these, the other qualifying races, they all have one of the fundamental things to do is this, this gear check, you know, mm-hmm. they make sure you have, you know, the proper rated sleeping bag and the stove and basically this whole set of survival gear that, you know, you would need if, you know, worst come to worst, you have to, you know, hunker down for a day or two. Yeah. You know, and they're real meticulous in making sure you have all this stuff. And, uh, the Diderot race, there's no gear check. You know, they don't care. <laughs> you could show up in a, in a speedo, you know, that's your thing. And don't tempt Corey Waltering. Do not tempt him <laughs> to do the Iditarod in a speedo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you so they, they figure by the time you're, you know, qualified to do there to, to, to do the race that, uh, you know, hopefully you, you know what you need to do to be safe or, you know, or if that's not your MO, then, you know, you're on your own, but yeah. So. What is that? A, yeah. What, so, so that race, that experience, what was the, I did a ride? Cause you did finish. Yeah. Um, the, yeah, the 350, which is closer to 300 miles, but kind of depends year to year the route kind of varies it right because it's you know almost man probably i'm not sure the numbers but i mean vast majority is over you know frozen terrain it's over frozen swamps and rivers and you know you're following riverbeds but different years stuff doesn't freeze over the same way or there's areas that are hazardous um so it, it could change so yeah i mean i've never been more humbled and terrified and just delayed it all at one time. I mean, I mean, like they said, for a lot of things, the only way is only way is through. Like you have to make it to the end. Cause yeah. if you don't, um, it's very expensive and, <laughs> and, you know, could be life threatening. Um, you know, if you make, make mistakes. Insurance doesn't cover the bush plane that has to right. come out in the middle of nowhere to get you yeah, if, if it doesn't work out if you're lucky enough to get a hold of anybody right so <laughs> right because your because your phone is, is not working that has to be a different level because there's a there's a certain level of safety in every race you've done to this point yeah. I mean, even barkley has a level of safety yeah. you know sure. if you get you get off course you will eventually hit a road you will eventually hit civilization you're going to be all right i right. did a rod I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere, Alaska, and they don't seem to be like, well, gear check, smear check. We don't need to check anything. You right. are you are really on your own. Yeah. The only thing, only piece of required gear they give you is a GPS tracker, you know, just to find, just to figure out where you are, probably in case they, you know, worst comes to worst, they have to come, you know, retrieve you, which <laughs> <laughs> if they retrieve you, something's really bad because they're pretty much hands off. Yeah. Um, and I, I guess there's for, for people at home that are, you know, following on the, you know, the, the website to see where, where people are. And, uh, but yeah. And so to make matters worse, you know, the year before the race, 
you know, again, read, read lots of race reports, you know, talked to a lot of people um, about the event, their experiences there. And so I had a good idea of the gear and, uh, you know, it's not much different gear than I'd already was comfortable using yeah. just a little bit more. Cause you gotta, they only allowed uh, two, two drop bags, you know, five pounds maximum. Cause they had to fly these little packages in to yeah. a couple spots. And so you really had to, for the first time, really kind of think about, you know, counting calories, like, Oh, how many calories are you going to burn a day? And how many days to between these drop bags? Cause they pretty much told you don't expect much at the, the checkpoints. We'll, you know, we'll have warm water there. Maybe we'll have some, some other, you know, co- you know, calories or something, but you know, if you did, it was a bonus. So, right. Um, so that we, and already knew like the, you know, the prior years, first, uh, like last year, the year before they had, they had perfect conditions, you know, and as, as difficult a race as this is, like they've had years where they've had hundred percent finish rates. Everybody finishes. Wow. I mean, you kind of, you know, it's a higher degree of higher caliber athletes that, you know, well, yeah, I mean, to, this is not, I've had a lot of qualifying to, to get in there. Right. They, they're, but, they're very selective. They don't just let every, they don't let everybody in and go, okay, first 300 people get in. Right. But man, this year, not only, you know, just what we talked about, the whole remoteness and all that, that's, that's scariness. Well, it started snowing. They had tons of snow that year. This was like record snow year that, um, setting records all over Alaska. Yeah. Um, you know, snow depth and, you know, people were reporting from the trail. A lot of the locals up there were sharing on, you know, those private Facebook pages, like the conditions and, Man, I was not getting warm fuzzy. I was like, "Oh, this is gonna be brutal. This is gonna suck." And sure enough, you know, like starting about 24 hours before we started, you know, it starts snowing again, and even snowing right up into you know first several hours of the race, it's dumped like another like foot of snow at least, and and then it did it again. Um, like a couple days later, like, yeah. so we're out there in this race, you know, it's alternating between more snow or, you know, deep cold back and forth. And so it ended up being for better or worse, probably one of the more difficult years from what the veteran said, probably not the most difficult, but yeah, definitely ranked pretty high up there. And I don't know, I think that's for me, it kind of, it's a blessing in disguise. Cause my, my dream goal is to go the full distance to go, the thousand miles yeah to experience the 350 in some pretty brutal conditions where people were days slower even the winter you know on the in the foot division was you know a day or more slower than you know typically expected to experience that survive it and you know thrive and enjoy it um and be able to to deal with it now i, I now i know i want to go and there's no question i want to go the thousand mile so is that one day is that on the on the on the radar for next year to go the whole thousand? Uh, oh no, <laughs> it's going to be a while. I mean, it's so you think about it. The for the three fifty, the cutoff is like ten days, and it took me, you know, basically eight and a half days. Yeah, to to finish, which was probably two days longer than I I thought. Even my worst case, because mm-hmm. I'm looking at what people I know have done before, and they had perfect conditions. And for the thousand mile, you have thirty days. And so, you know, wheels are turning in my head. I have to commit 30 days of being minimum 
you know, that's just on the trail, being away from home. Mm-hmm. I can't, <laughs> that's tough to, to stomach right now. It's not going to happen anytime soon. It'll happen. But, you know, I've got a three-year-old, you know, three and a quarter-year-old daughter. Wait till she gets a little bit older and, um, like, you know, get my work situation where I could you know, take that kind of time. Yeah, that's, you got, you got to be pretty good in your job to just show up and say, hey, I need like 35 days off. Uh, for this for this race in Alaska. Yeah, I mean, it's been, seriously, it's been a dream for 20 years, even just to get to the starting line, you know, this past time was, you know, 20, pretty much a 20-year effort of experience and just working up, you know, the courage to even even try, you know, a guy from Huntsville, Alabama to, <laughs> to, to take something like that on. And so I'm trying to encourage other people to, to get out there and try these things. I mean, it's, it seems crazy and, you know, there's, there's some overhead and you've got the, got to have the right kind of gear. And I understand that. like, why, why do I need this, you know, a thousand fill down jacket or not? Yeah. Never wear, you know, all this, this stuff, but boy, it's, it's such an amazing experience. And it's starting, it is a niche, niche kind of sport, you yeah. know, niche area of ultra running it, but it is slowly growing. There's, um, now a number of, you know, shorter winter ultras kind of introductory that are kind of rolling out. And I, I see that as a, you know, once we get post COVID, hopefully, whatever this you know, new normal yeah. is, I think you're going to see a lot more of those and a few other more hardcore, um, like uh, there's one out in Wyoming called the, the drift. It's like, it's a hundred mile winter ultra race, but it's got like lots of elevation change. Yeah. So they're trying to make it a little more interesting yeah Um, not just some flat you know right not snowmobile trails for 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 miles yeah so but yeah so you know so i try to encourage anybody that's interested to contact me and you know try to try to guide them as best i know you know just not be afraid you know yes it's cold but you can get you can have enough clothing and everything to be warm that's staying warm is not the problem out there at all the the by far the biggest thing is, uh, you know, wet moisture management. Yeah. Cause you, you can, you've got a layer, right. And know how to vent to not sweat out. Cause when you sweat out, that's when it gets dangerous. That's when you can get cold. So it's all trying to balance how hard you're pushing and when, and um, it's all things you, you learn pretty quickly. And, but it was definitely something I, I had to learn, you know, and I kind of had some, some incidents out there, you know, even that first, that 80 mile race that I finally finished, you know, you know, I had some, some issues and you just kind of have to MacGyver your way through it. And, and it's not like something like you get this normal ultra, you get a blister in your shoe and like, Oh, I'll just tough it out. Right. You know, whatever. But you got there, like out there in the, you know, my toes are getting numb from the cold. I can't just tough it out. Like I've got to stop and do something about it immediately. (laughs) Or else you'll have no toes. Otherwise, I'll have no toes. <laughs> right. so. Rob, have you ever like sat down and thought like, what is it about me that makes me want to do all these super extreme things? Because you know, all of ultra running is extreme to a point, but you seem to really exist in the extremes of the extremes. What about that speaks so so well to you? I don't know. It's 
like I said, it's whatever the way I'm wired. It's I, I feel like after I've done some challenge, like I've, I'm pretty satisfied with that. I don't need to go back to that challenge necessarily. And the only thing to do is to go a little bit bigger, a little bit different. Yeah. Something, some, like I said before, something out of my comfort zone. It's, it's challenging, but it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Like you, it keeps building, like, how do you keep going bigger? Like, you, you hit, you're eventually you gonna run on the up. moon you're gonna have the first ultra on the moon rob right. you know <laughs> <laughs> but it's 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 a tough and kind of a stressful thing right because it's you can become so addicted you know addiction you know it is yeah it is true it is maybe some would argue a healthy or unhealthy addiction it can be you know if you let it you know run your life completely but you strike me. Is. You strike me, yeah. Rob, as 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 a, as a quiet guy. You're a man of few words. You don't strike me as the as the blowhard at the bar going, "Hey, I ran the Iditarod, and then I did Barkley. Hey, see me in the movies." <laughs> do you do you enjoy? Is it the solitude of it? The just being yeah. alone in your thoughts that 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 you that you love so much about it? Yeah, I think that's what's really drawing me to the the winter stuff in particular. Is is the solitude and the just the self-sufficiency, you know, I'm kind of around the house. I'm always been kind of a, you know, handyman doing, you know, do it yourself projects, you know, yeah. home remodeling, you know, we've had a few houses that we've kind of remodeled a lot of a- the aspects of it. And so I, I like the thought process and the working through and having the vision and, you know, seeing it through and winter ultras gives you all that, you know, it gives you obviously the ultra experience, but that's just the, the tip of the iceberg, if you will. Um, there's so many other other aspects to it. The, there's always problem solving. There's there's things that fail, trying to figure things out, and it's kind of a you know thinking person's um, event more, yeah. more so more more a lot more introspective than maybe some of the other races because you don't really feel like it's a, a race per se. I mean you're you're out there and yes you know half finish awards and all that stuff, but you know it just it just speaks to that that kind of nature I have, I suppose. I think I know when you're going to do the thousand mile race, Rob and everybody you might want to write this down. You said your daughter is, is three right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When she's a teenager, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's kind of what we're thinking. <laughs> Hopefully sooner, but right. it's going to be yeah, that, you know, she's, she's a, she's a daddy's girl, of course. And, it yes. was it was tough being away for you know I was gone for two weeks two weeks just for for the the, the three fifty and uh, yeah so at the point when she probably doesn't want to be around me anymore right that's what it is because you know <laughs> I didn't I didn't experience this with my oldest daughter who's who's nineteen now but with my other two my other they're, we have a house full of teenagers right now Rob it is oh wow Oof. I mean it smells uh, it's loud <laughs> it's, Mrs. Pluckman and I are holding down the hatches um, but yeah and so the other two have had the experience of like my daughter Ava has never had the oh you're an idiot dad I'm embarrassed to be seen with you but the other two have had moments of <laughs> I'm embarrassed to be seen with you, Dad. And so, I've, if you can make it through, you know, your daughter's teenage years where she doesn't have that, like my oldest, I I hope that for you. But if she does get to the point where she's like, Dad, that's the time to do the whole I did a rod that year. 
makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Rob, that was a hell of a chat, man. Thanks for coming on the Adventure Jogger. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me. This is fun. Good times. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the Adventure Jogger and for all your support. We are 100% listener supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search The Adventure Jogger on Patreon or go to theadventurejogger.com. Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching The Adventure Jogger. And subscribe to The Adventure Jogger wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode.